Welcome to the Design Thinking Roundtable by Design for America. We've been sitting down with experts in the fields of design thinking, innovation, and social impact to discuss how they approach human-centered design in their organizations and projects. I'm your host, Harshita Nedinari. Our guest for this episode is Samira Chukapalli, founder and CEO of Need Lab. Welcome, Samira. Hey, Harshita. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talking to you and uh, your organization. And um, yeah, a bit about my background. I'm an architect. I'm born in, uh, I was born in India. Uh, and then I started traveling uh, for my studies, internships, and jobs quite early. Um, did the North America first, and then East Asia, Vietnam, and finally settled in Europe, in Spain. And after my master's and my thesis, I realized and had some self-realizations and then started Need Lab. Absolutely. You are now the founder and CEO of Need Lab. Could you tell us more about Need Lab? What does Need Lab do? So Need Lab uh, started as a research organization. So we um, work with different communities. We work with different organizations, different um, people around the world, and we solve issues for them, uh, as simple as that. We work with them in designing um, solutions to their community problems. We work with them to create livelihood options. We work with them to make their uh, life better. And um, to put it in one word, we are a design organization who works um, with nature and -hmm. technology Mm -hmm. in order to make lives better. How did you arrive at Need Lab in the first place? Uh, the reason behind the name is actually that um, to solve a need that's out there, mm-hmm. we need to do some research, we need to back it up with uh, some justifiable reasons, mm-hmm. hence the name uh, Need Lab. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason of forming it was that so much research happens in the world, but it never reaches people. It never formulates into something that's viable, reachable, um, to solve um, grassroots problems. So we wanted to do something that's economical for the people uh, at the grassroots level who have problems. And we wanted to work with materials from their region and teach it to them so they have the skills to solve with their issues even after we leave. So it's sustainable, it's local, it's um, empowering them to solve their own problems. So they have more positive outlook about life and um, future. So what projects are you currently working on at your organization? So now uh, we're working on a workshop in India. Uh, That's what I'm doing right now. Uh, We have about 80 students and they're from all around the world. And we are collaborating with a bunch of organizations. And during this workshop, the students will learn what's design thinking, what's human-centered design. They'll experiment with different materials, group up with each other, find problems that are happening uh, around them in their own countries. And um, they will derive uh, solutions for it. At the end, um, if they're very satisfied with their idea, they even go ahead to incubators and startups. Mm-hmm. So I'm mentoring in the session and running a lot of workshops. So that's exciting. And then we have some projects okay. in uh, Africa too. And uh, we have one in Vietnam. 
and we just finished one in Korea, so it's been a it's been a packed uh, year. Okay, wow. So you've been all over the world just this year with Need Lab projects. Could you could you describe uh, your process from end to end? How do you choose your projects? Um, how do you decide to get involved with a specific community, and then uh, where does it go from there? Uh, that's a great question. Um, most of the time, we receive invites from the community. Sometimes people reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, email, website, uh, message. And we go through all their um, description, the problems. We have several Skypes with them in order to understand what their problems are, what their uh, interest is, and how they want to solve it. And the main um main deciding factor is how much is the community passionate about solving it are they someone who will see through it are they someone who will drop it based on that we decide whether we take the project with them or not Uh, because we work on wide range of projects we work on psychological projects which affect um, the whole community in a positive way we work on physical ones design ones multiple ones but the deciding factor is the passion from the community and the members uh, of the community. Okay, so you are constantly designing for different environments, cultures, languages. How do you approach this variability in your design process? So uh, the local people uh, give the context most of the time. Uh, so we definitely uh, have a local member from the community Mm -hmm. and he or she becomes the main uh, leading um, person in the project we ask them questions we learn about everything there everything about them Um, so the main um, lead of the projects is the community member so they take he or she uh, they take the lead role they give us the information firsthand about their day-to-day life, their problems, what they want to solve, how do they want to live in the future. Based on that, uh, we draw conclusions, we take the key points, and this gives us the most um, amount of information which we can never Google, which we can never understand even if we go and live there. So what they experience is always different than as an outsider uh, that we experience in that region. So we listen to uh, them and um, have uh, iterations on the proposals that we do with them. We sit down and show them a prototype one and they will tell us that this won't work because of option A, B, C or because they give us reasons saying, no, you know, people won't believe in this or this is not viable financially for us or this will not be able to be built or even maintained um, by the community so we listen to all of that and iterate over and over again and then uh, come to a conclusion where we will build that um, example and even that's never final Um, over the years that also changes evolves with the community so the Vietnam project which was built a year ago um, now we are making changes to it from the feedback of the people who are living there, who are using it. Uh, They've been using it for a year, and now we have enormous amount of feedback from them. And we will use that to uh, iterate the next uh, prototype that we will be building, and that will inform us again. 
So I would say that um, most of the projects are iterative and they're derived from experiences the people tell us. Okay, so from my understanding, your process and your approach is a very, very clear articulation of human-centered design, right? The iteration, the research up front with the community that you're engaging with, um, testing, right? All of that is really crucial to human-centered design. So I'm curious, how does NeedLab define human-centered design? Um, we don't have a definition. We actually ask the person mm-hmm. who writes to us. We tell them we work in this design process and we ask mm-hmm. them what do they think about it. And they say, oh, no, no, we don't want you to be so empathetic about us. We want you to be more tough on us mm-hmm. and give us a challenge in our design, which would encourage us to become better. Or um, they define it as we are having a lot of pain. We want something that would make mm-hmm. us more happy. We want joy. So emotions are involved in design. And um, empathy plays a huge role in how the community defines their mm-hmm. own empathy towards uh, themselves, towards outsiders, um, also how they want the world to see them becomes a big factor in the design process. So what does empathy mean to you? (laughs) To me, um, Mm -hmm. it's a translation, let's say, of a big hug, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which involves um, touch, feeling, love, and... um, understanding when one needs it, mm-hmm. understanding when it's time to let go, understanding um, the interaction in the process. So, yeah, it's all of that in a package. Um, and it should be uh, different for one person to the other, understanding how much and what that person needs. In terms of architecture as an industry, as a discipline, where do you see the role of human-centered design and empathy um, in, in this massive discipline, right? Uh, I, let me rephrase that. Um, I believe empathy and human-centered design to be a newer introduction, a newer lens to the discipline of architecture. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I believe some of the architects or some examples have displayed that, Mm -hmm. uh, even in the past, um, about experience and emotions that are evoked in a certain place. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, in Japan, when you go to different um, shrines or uh, you go to the um, Buddhist places, you have those emotions, you have those places answering to the community Mm -hmm. as a space where someone can come and share their problems, where someone can come and resolve their community conflict, Mm -hmm. where someone can come and have events without um, issues. There have been places, Mm -hmm. but um, I'm not sure if architects design those places. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Some architects um, I can see in the past have, but Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm referring to star architects that have uh, made architecture a big um, center for discussion. Mm -hmm. I I do agree with you when you say that it's a new lens that has been uh, added on to it mm -hmm. uh, in the recent years. Given that, is your team interdisciplinary? Uh, who is currently on your team? How big is your team? So we are about uh, 17 uh, people. It's mm -hmm. a network. Mm -hmm. uh, we are, um, all, all of us are uh, in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And um, we are digital nomads. <laughs> mm -hmm. We do come on board for projects based on our passion, based on expertise and requirement of the project. Mm -hmm. uh, we have psychologists, we have agricultural specialists, we have designers, structural engineers, um, technical um, mm -hmm. Um, coders and computer science majors and um, everyone in the family mm -hmm. and most of us are um, freelancing uh, and then being part of need lab supporting communities as well okay so you really lead an interdisciplinary global organization right so can you describe some of the challenges of being a global social impact organization and also the challenges of being such a young leader? Oof, uh, big question, huh? <laughs> Quite heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, let me add, a, add another factor to that. Mm -hmm. The first thing is our amazing earth, mm -hmm. which has time zones in it, mm -hmm. <laughs> which has a huge, huge control over when we talk, how much we talk to each other, mm -hmm. how we um, choose members as well. And... Um, Having said that, um, it gives us uh, incredible, incredible knowledge because the team members have uh, different nationality, different learning uh, from uh, where they are, what they've experienced in their life, which makes the team much more versatile, adds a huge layer of, uh, of you know, um, learning and um, the way we design is actually uh, benefited uh, by that. Uh, challenges, um, as I said, time zone. Uh, another thing is uh, finances. How mm -hmm. do we sustain everybody's uh, existence on the team? If we have six people and the but if we need six people, and if we have budget for three, how do we uh, cut short and how do we deal with that? Mm -hmm. uh, being um, the first priority that we respect everybody's time mm -hmm. and their knowledge. And uh, the third thing would be, um, how do we handle um, group ethics? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we um, how do we contribute in a way that is positively benefiting the one at uh, need, mm -hmm. uh, other than satisfying self ego? Um, that was an exploratory process for us. We learned uh, from our mistakes. Uh, mm. We learned from our failed projects, failed uh, prototypes. Give us enormous learning about how we should be as individuals, how we should be with each other, mm -hmm. and um, every every story made us better people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we are gaining more than we are giving. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that. Um, yeah, and me being young, <laughs> that's, <laughs> um, I see a lot of 14 year olds doing a lot, so I don't know if 26 is young anymore, mm -hmm. um, but, um, it's interesting, um, because I think I was born at the, 
at, at the time where the technology had developed so quickly, but I got to see my parents who didn't have that mm-hmm. and a generation ahead who has more of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm... I'm kind of stuck between this millennial and non-millennial. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that led to a lot of personal development. Apart from that, um, my early age travels, uh, I travel quite young mm-hmm. and um, saw the best of both worlds, developed, um, developing, underdeveloped and um, all the range between. And um, that taught me a lot. It taught me patience. It taught me tolerance, and um, and how to change and not to accept what is uh, given to me. How to improve it. How to um, how to make sure that I receive more, or the people around me receive the best of the situation. Mm-hmm. I think uh, led me to who I am today. I think that is really incredible advice for our listeners. Um, so thank you for answering all of those questions back to back. That was really helpful. Of course. Thank you. Um, based on what Need Lab does and your position as a global social impact organization, I think it makes complete sense, uh, the initiatives that you have been working on with the UN. Could you tell us more about Need Lab's initiatives with the UN? Um, what projects are you currently working on? What are the UN's uh, goals for the coming years? And how are you working to solve them? Um, UN, as you know, is an uh, incredible organization working very hard in, um, in making the world a more peaceful, better place to live. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure you've heard of the uh, UN SDG goals, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're working um, towards achieving that. We have pledged for it, and um, we work with the UN uh, mostly with uh, organizations which are in partnership with the UN. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've recently worked with the UN Habitat in conducting workshops and um, lectures for Youth Now program, Mm -hmm. which uh, targets youth and uh, informs them about ways they can impact the world, uh, what they should be looking out for, how they can focus um, on their career options and um, help them learn more skills to make them be prepared for what's coming. Mm And um, in the next um, coming months, we are working on a few projects with them, which I cannot disclose right now. <laughs> but, um, but you can stay tuned for something that's really cool and um, which will motivate uh, youth and also have a lot of research aspect towards, let's say, uh, sustainable public housing. What's on the horizon for Need Lab in the near future and in five years? Uh, we are really excited to go back to Vietnam in the next um, coming months. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be doing more research on bamboo, uh, which is an incredible material and we love it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we are excited for some um, 
interviews. Um, we are excited for us being selected to represent Womenpreneurs, which is an organization in the EU, and they are advocates for women entrepreneurs. And we are voicing uh, women in tech, we are voicing uh, research opportunities for women and equality. And uh, we are inviting both genders to be part of the conversation, mm -hmm. which we are very excited to advocate. And um, we are looking forward to having more members full time, mm -hmm. <laughs> which, uh, which I'm sure all the, all the new lab members are like uh, rooting right now. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> yeah, um, those are the big goals for us uh, in the coming months. Do you know any other areas that are next? Uh, we are uh, in close conversation with a community that's in mm -hmm. Congo. And we are working with another um, nonprofit, which is helping mm -hmm. them as well. Uh, we are joining powers to um, do as much as mm -hmm. we can. And it's a small community who are um, affected by the war and the violence um, that's been happening in the mm -hmm. region. And um, we are being um, very, very uh, low in this. Um, we are being mm -hmm. listeners. To to just uh, say it in one sentence, we are just listening to all the information we are receiving from them. Uh, we are in the research phase. We are uh, just understanding, collecting data, researching on it. Uh, we haven't taken any steps in any implementation mm -hmm. yet because this is a very, very sensitive uh, project. We want to give it a good six months before we even propose anything or try any prototypes. So, um, yeah, that's something we're looking forward to. Okay, that sounds uh, like a fantastic approach to, just to make sure that you're listening to your community and also um, really understanding the, the role of the designer and the architect in that situation. So that, that sounds great. So you are really paving the way for women of color to represent and lead in the intersection of architecture and design. What is your advice to aspiring uh, social impact designers? Uh, architecture definitely in the past has been uh, coated and has been a man's world. Mm -hmm. um, there's one star architect which we uh, over in time um, refer to, which is Zaha Hadid. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are numerous uh, male architects who are considered as star architects who are in the in the constant uh, attention, or they're referred to in mostly daily newspapers. Mm -hmm. So um, what I would say is the times are changing. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's no more the same, and um, you have a position you've always had. It's what's within you that makes you go forward. Mm -hmm. And um, if you feel that there is no position, make one. No one's stopping you. And um, never, never look at yourself as others look at you. I love you that. You should define... <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that we should uh, define our uh, ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we should, um, we should tell people how they should look at us. And never let anyone take you for granted uh, is something very important. You could be of any form, any color, any gender, and from anywhere. 
you know, living elsewhere as well, but you could be from somewhere living elsewhere as well, make your own identity um, in your own terms. If you're someone who's soft-spoken, it's okay. That's your identity. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be defined by someone. Uh, being inspired by someone definitely helps. It helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at all the women professors that I interacted with or um, mm -hmm. a lot of women leaders out there, it's not necessary that uh, architects should encourage you or designers. Mm -hmm. You could find your inspiration in um, many other fields. And um, yeah, that could, uh, as long as it gets you to the other side, mm -hmm. to be uh, more and more uh, empowered by yourself. I think that's a really, really inspiring message for our listeners. And I think we can actually end on that note. So thank you so much, Samira, for being here with us today. We really, really appreciate your time. And we hope to stay tuned on your projects. And thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And I think you guys are doing a great job. Um, first is just to recognize it, but you guys are taking action, you are doing something, you're contributing your own time in um, recording all this information which is available to everyone out there, and uh, that's incredible. More power to your team and power to you. Good luck and um, stay happy and excited as you are.